Awesome, awesome. You guys may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Awesome. I love that song, Waymaker. And I felt that after reading today's text this morning and studying for it, that it was fitting for the study today entitled The Mission of Jesus. We're going to take a look at the beginning now of Jesus' public ministry, how he is anointed and sent forth. If you guys recall, we've been going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And over the last few weeks, we saw a progression in the account and in the story of Jesus. Remember Jesus, he was growing as a child in the wisdom of the Lord. And then he began to, as a child, recognize that God, the great I am, was his father. More so than his earthly father, Jesus. I'm sorry, Joseph. And then we, we witnessed when John the Baptist baptized Jesus there in the Jordan River. And we saw the Spirit descend like a dove, something similar to a dove, upon Jesus. And it was then when he was full now of the power of the Holy Spirit to begin his public ministry. And immediately after Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit then leads him where? Into the wilderness. And into the wilderness he went and was tempted by Satan after fasting for 40 days. And he was hungry. And Satan would come to him and tempt him three times. And every time Jesus combated the temptation with the word of God. And then at the end of that that trial, that testing, when Jesus came out true, without sin, the angels came and comforted Jesus. His strength was restored. And that's where we pick up now as he then leaves that wilderness to go back to the Galilee. So we begin with Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So now he is returning in the Spirit. We just see this after he leaves the wilderness. If you're taking notes this morning, which I encourage you guys, bring a notepad, something to take notes on. But Jesus' ministry was a ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. You see this constantly. Jesus, going through the Galilee, we find out from Matthew's gospel, a little bit about in depth on his beginning of the ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, 
It reads this, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So first and foremost, teaching and preaching. This was Jesus' ministry. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? We might ask that. You see, teaching is addressed to the believers. It's for our, our exhortation. Whereas preaching, generally speaking, is usually termed for the non-believer. Preaching is the teaching of the gospel to bring sinners to salvation. And teaching, generally speaking, is phrased as those who are being built up now. The purpose of the church, one of the main purposes, is to build up the body of the believers within that church so that we can grow. I note that Jesus, he first addresses the church where he goes in Galilee. He first goes to the religious people, exhorting them. Look at verse 16. It says, So he came then to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. You see, Jesus, he did not just show up to the temple for the first time here. He was already going from his youth. And it says, as we just read, and it was his custom to go every Sabbath. Now in Jewish culture, there's Sabbath. It begins on Friday evening, sundown at 6 p.m. In biblical times, that's when they started their day. And it was considered the Sabbath on Friday evenings to Saturday evening to be that day of rest where they would put aside work so that they could focus upon God till the next day at 6 p.m. again. I remember my dad taking us to Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs, twice on Sunday mornings. I'm or sorry, twice on Sundays. We'd go on Sunday morning when I was a little kid, and then we'd go again in the evening. And as a young man, I found that going in the evening service was sometimes a drag as a little kid. I was tired. I wanted to play video games. But my dad was preparing my mind and heart to love being at church all day. You see, later on, I, I would then become a staff member at that church, Golden Springs. And man, I would try to squeeze in a nap if I could in between the morning service to the evening service because it was tiring. I'd be there at 6 a.m. with the devotion with the pastor and then after the morning services, you'd get tired and hungry and you'd eat and then food coma and then you would, I would need to crash. So I would try to set an alarm so I could get ready for the evening service. And now it was physically tiring, but spiritually so fulfilling. The Lord was, was training me. 
And I'm reminded and I want to exhort all of us today to make time. You know, there's been a few times here on Sundays where, gosh, you guys have been here all day. And that's so cool. It's cool because we are spending time in God's word and worship and in fellowship where it just doesn't stop when the Bible study is over. But the fellowship continues speaking to one another about God. And I want to encourage us, make time for the Lord in your life. Sometimes we, get, we put other things in the way. Even our families at times get placed before the Lord. We need to have balance, and there needs to be spiritual discernment with this. But look at Jesus, how he was there every Sabbath to stand, to read. In verse 17, it says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Notice, in this verse, Jesus is given the Old Testament. He was using the word and then expounding upon it. And this is, to me, why the Old Testament is so important. Because even Jesus would go to it, to teach out of it. In verse 18, Jesus says, reading from the book of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now I want to stop here for a while. And these two verses, we're going to camp on them for a little bit to break down as Jesus is reciting the prophet Isaiah what he is actually reading. To begin with, in Isaiah chapter 61, when it says in verse, in our Bibles, verse 18, it says, the spirit is upon Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That is the upon experience of the Holy Spirit where he's now moving through Jesus. Because he has anointed me. Now that word anointed, it literally means to rub or smear oil on. To set apart for a specific purpose. That's what the word anointed means. Perhaps you've heard in Christianese, somebody say, oh, that person is anointed of the Lord. What do, they, what do they really mean when they say that? It means that that person is fulfilling a specific purpose. It's kind of like the china set in a, in, a, in a nice house that is only used for a specific, perhaps, main event that's going to be coming up. Besides that, everybody else, we just use paper plates to eat the pizza on a regular day. But then when the king is coming... We say, break out the china, clean it up, take off the dust off of it. Because that china plates are used for a specific purpose. And in that same way, you all have a specific purpose that God has created you for. You guys are the anointed of the Lord. And I am not anointed to do what God has called you to do. Only you are. Jesus was the only one 
who was set aside for the task of being the Messiah. To announce the good news over sin and death. He, in referring back to Isaiah's reading, says to preach the gospel to the poor. This is the good news given to those who are poor, not only financially, but also spiritually poor. The good news over sin and death and the grave. You see, those who did not have spiritual riches were made eternally rich by the love of Christ, by his joy, by his goodness. He says again, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You see, Jesus was sent to heal not just the physical, but the emotional, the spiritual, the mind. To heal the brokenhearted. And that's the brokenhearted of losing a loved one. The broken heart of a lost world. Even the broken heart of betrayal and the broken hearts that are placed in the hope of this world. Jesus came to heal those broken hearts. He came to preach deliverance to the captives, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those captive to sin, to Satan and the law. I remember before I came to know the Lord, I was a captive and a slave to the law. Which is, you're saying, wait, how are you a slave to the law? Because I would look at the law of God and I would see, man, I could never live up to that standard. Therefore, I'm not even going to try. There's a monkey in the trees. Don't worry about him. (laughs) But I would look at the law and I would realize I'm never going to be able to live up to that standard. Therefore, I'm just going to stay comfortable in my sin. And by doing so, I was a slave to the law. But when Christ came into my heart and into my life, he set me free from being a slave to the sin and a slave to the law. And I became a servant and a slave to Christ. Who ge- he gives us liberty and freedom. We have freedom in Christ. He says again to proclaim liberty to the captives. And I'm reminded that Jesus did proclaim liberty to the captives there in hell. Recently, our good brother Mario, he asked me if Jesus really descended into hell. And you, perhaps you've heard me taught and teach off my basic understanding of certain scriptures that Jesus went into hell. But I want to be theologically accurate as I explain this to you guys. Now this is based off again off of Luke's description of hell in Luke chapter 16. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus was a a righteous man, a poor man who dies and is carried into Abram's bosom. Whereas the rich man who is sinful, unrepentant, goes into hell also, which hell was split into two compartments. On one side, you had Abram's bosom, a place of comfort. And on the other side, you had Hades, which it was all Hades, but the other side, it was a place of torment, of fire and flames. 
We read that in Luke 16. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, in Ephesians 4, verse 9 through 10, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. See, Jesus, he went down into hell where Abraham's bosom was, where all the saints were, where Abraham was. And he preached to them probably the best preaching we have never heard in our lives. And he then let them all to be into heaven. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 19, again we read, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, by whom we also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now this is not to say that Jesus was tormented by flames in hell. He was not. But he descended into hell and would enter into the Hades compartment, paradise, Abram's bosom, where the saints awaited for the fulfillment of Jesus, for his mission to be complete, dying for the sins of the world and taking them to heaven with his heavenly father. Now, as Jesus, again, back in Luke, is continuing this portion of Isaiah, at the end of, of the passage he's reading, he says, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. You see, part of Jesus' ministry was healing. And here on earth, I've seen God do miracles. Perhaps not as grand as others that we've heard of, but I remember once in a, in a prayer group, this, this young woman had gallstones in her body. And we laid hands on her and prayed over her, and she was going to have to get them, they were looking at getting them surgically removed, and then she went back to get her MRI scans, and they were gone after we prayed over her, laid hands on her. And I just knew it was the Lord who, who just removed them. Through scriptures, we see Jesus, he healed, and God is glorified in these. People get saved. Yesterday, a friend of mine, his mother was suffering, battling with COVID and pneumonia. And I messaged him, and I let him know that I, I was praying for him, and for his mother. And then he later responded, She's in heaven, my brother. She went to be with the Lord at 12.55 p.m. Praise be to the Most High God. She has been made healed. It's like, wow. What an accurate and hopeful message. This young man who's just lost his mother knows that she's with her Heavenly Father and she has been fully, completely healed. 
you know, sometimes we, we don't see that healing here on this earth, but when they enter into eternity, God fulfills his promise, giving them a new body without pain, without suffering. This is Jesus's ministry. Again, Jesus is quoting, he says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that word for liberty, it means to be set free, to be delivered and forgiven. Forgiven and, and delivered from what? From being oppressed, bruised, broken, and shattered. In verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Referring to the year Christ would come to fulfill his mission. It says in verse 20, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now Jesus, he's showing that through this prophecy, it's actually pointing to him to be the Messiah. And note that Jesus is reading the prophet Isaiah. And as he's reading it in Isaiah 61, if you go back to that chapter and to those verses, he doesn't finish the entirety of that verse. In Isaiah 61 verse 2, he stops right in the middle of Isaiah 61 verse 2. If he would have kept going, it would have read, and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus didn't read that part yet because that part has not yet been fulfilled. He stopped up until what was fulfilled, him coming to this earth. But there is going to be a fulfillment of the vengeance of God. In verse 22, it says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. You see, now some are doubting here. They knew of Joseph and Mary and the rumors surrounding the birth of Jesus. So they would tell Jesus this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And what that meant to Jesus was they were saying, look, you've done miracles in other cities like Capernaum. Why don't you do miracles here? Why don't you show your power here in Nazareth, your hometown? Because they doubted. But I don't think they really wanted to believe. I don't think they wanted to see those miracles performed. Because G Jesus didn't perform them. Later on in the Gospels, we read how Jesus would say, A wicked and adulterous a generation seeks a sign. Sometimes people are, are hard-hearted and they need some sort of tangible proof but Jesus said blessed are those who believe without seeing now again in verse 24 in Luke 4 it says then he said assuredly 
I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You see, as they're denying him, I'm reminded of the temptation again that Satan put out in front of Jesus. Look, do some miracle. Jump off the temple for the angels are going to save you. You see, you don't have to go to the cross to make everyone believe in you. Simply show your power. Reveal yourself. But by doing so, Jesus would be disobeying the Lord on waiting on his timing. One of the phrases you constantly hear Jesus say is, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Because Jesus was obedient and waiting and patient. May we also be patient in the Lord's will in our life. Satan might offer us that way of escape, the quick way out. You don't have to wait. Just move. Get away from the church. You don't, you don't have to not sin. You can just go in the secret and go do sin in the dark. But no. May we be a church that has a conviction in our hearts and in our minds, knowing that the Lord is always present. Again, in verse 24, I'll read, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. With this verse, I'm reminded of the importance of missionaries in our other countries. You see, a, a missionary will leave behind their normal surroundings, taking those steps of faith out there in the wild and having a different look and speech than all the people who live there. It makes them noticeable. And sometimes a, a foreigner might receive an ear from one of the locals because they're different. I have a friend named Angel who while we were in Colombia, this guy's all tattooed up, by the way. He's, he's from the neighborhood, you know? And because he spoke Spanish too, with, with an accent, I'm sure, but the Colombians found, gave him an ear. And he was used as an evangelist there in Colombia. And I, I was blessed to kind of come alongside and just pray alongside with him because I, I couldn't speak the language as well, well as him. But we would walk up to these, these women in, in a quad and he would begin talking with them. They'd share how they were lesbian and then he would lead them to Christ right in front of my eyes. And I was just like, whoa. People repenting from sin. So there is a value in missions. Sometimes we, with our family, they get so comfortable with us that it's harder for them to hear when we t try to talk to them about the Lord. Because they, they know our past. They know our upbringing. But may that not stop us. May we continue to live out the gospel through our lives. May that be the biggest witness as our lifestyle. Jesus said you will know that they are Christian by their love for one another. So how is it that people are going to get saved if we don't have love for one another? If we are arguing and, and bickering and allowing strife and dis 
contentment to come into our hearts against our loved ones. I would encourage all of us this morning, when you're in those situations where somebody is is coming against you, they, they feel that you've wronged them or you you feel wronged by them, with discernment, eat some humble pie. Why do you go to the courts, Paul would write? Why can't you discern and judge this with, um, among yourselves? Allow the Holy Spirit to convict. Or why don't you just let yourself get cheated rather than making a bad witness for Christ? And that's not easy. I know it's not easy. When people argue against you and they don't see it your way and you see it one way and they see it another, it's hard. But that's where Jesus gave us that example of dying to self. And when Jesus calls us, he bids us come and die. So may we go to our friends, our family members, and those outside, our coworkers. Everywhere we go, may we have that gospel of peace with us. In verse 25 of Luke 4, But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So now Jesus is bringing up two accounts to his Nazareth fellow members. And he tells them these two accounts in the Old Testament and there are records of prophets being used in the life of people who were not Jews but Gentiles. Again, a Gentile is anybody who is not a Jew. So most, I think everyone in here is a Gentile this morning. But he brings up the two cases, the Sidonian widow and the Syrian commander, and both had faith in the God of Israel, and they were blessed because of it. So now after reminding the Jews that these Gentiles received blessings from the Lord God, it says in verse 28, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. So these Jews, they had such a hatred toward the Gentiles. It was a commonly thought belief that the Gentiles were actually, their purpose in life was to kindle the flames of hell which is not true. Even in Paul's time, when we went through the book of Acts, remember, every time Paul was preaching, as soon as he say that salvation has come to the Gentiles, the Jews would be like, blasphemy! And they would rip their shirts open. And everywhere Paul went, it would either 
end up in riot or revival. And this is what we're seeing here in Jesus's time. The same thing. As soon as Jesus was saying, look, the Gentiles had the Lord blessing them. They were angry, filled with wrath so much that they then tried to kill Jesus by taking him to the brow of this hill. They were going to throw him off. And I'm reminded, you see, that the closer that you get to Christ, the less you identify with race, with politics, the less you identify with all these different type of identities that we have here in this earth. And the more that you're going to identify with your spiritual and eternal maker, with God himself. In verse 30, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. You see, his time had not yet come. Remember, he could have let them cast him down and then just revealed his true power. The same way Satan tempted him, but he didn't. In verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now Capernaum, this is going to be, as we study the Gospels, Luke's, I'm sorry, Jesus' home base for ministry. Jesus would often go out and do ministry in various places there in Israel, but then he would go back to Capernaum constantly. And this was kind of like his home base. Now Jesus taught, it said, with authority. See, in their time, the other rabbis, they would constantly say, oh, this rabbi believes this. And they would say, oh, rabbi, so-and-so says this. But Jesus would say, you have heard it said, what have you, to an eye for an eye right? But I say to you, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. So he wouldn't refer to the other rabbis, but with authority, he would just teach the truth of God. And he could do that because he's Jesus. In verse 33, it says, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now here in these verses, we have an example of how the spiritual warfare can include demonic possession. It's a real thing. Now, we don't need to be afraid as believers, because a believer cannot be possessed. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, a demon cannot possess you. We can be oppressed and attacked from the outside, but greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Notice that this demon that we're looking at, this demon-possessed man, he's in the synagogue, So we could see that the walls of a church, they don't keep Satan out. When Satan can't attack from the outside, he attacks from the inside. 
It says in verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. See, the demons are even subject to Jesus. That verse I referred to earlier is 1 John 4, 4, when it says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I remember once saying that in a, a dream that I, I was having that I felt like this demonic presence in it and I, and I said that in the, the dream and I woke up and the Lord ended it. It says in verse 38, Now he rose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made request of him concerning her. So here we see Simon. This is Simon Peter, the man we know as Peter. Notice he's married. It talks about his mother-in-law. Now people sometimes like to think about Simon being married and how his wife was and how she was in ministry, but the Bible is silent on it. So we need to be careful not to put in the text something that's not there. Where the Bible is silent, we must be silent. In verse 39, So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. So Peter's mother-in-law is healed by Jesus. And now remember who's writing this. Luke. And what was Luke's occupation? He was a doctor. So when Luke is writing this fever, she had a high fever. He's writing in medical terminology that he's used to. She didn't have COVID yet. In verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. You see, Throughout scripture, Jesus has less than 10 accounts recorded dealing with demon possession over his three-year ministry. Now, that's quite a bit more than I personally would ever like to experience. But it wasn't like he focused solely on demonic possession, was kicking down doors and casting demons out, going door to door, doing exorcisms. This was part of his ministry. One time I was at Calvary Chapel, Colton Springs, and this young man in high school, 
came and uh, I'm not sure how, if there were psychological problems there, but he, I was with, at the time, the, the high school pastor, uh, Pastor Scott, and we were talking with him, trying to encourage him in the Lord, and all of a sudden he became fearful and started to look down the hallway, and he was like, and Scott asked him, he's like, what's up, man? Like, what do you see? And he's like, they're down there. And I remember I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I was like, well, that's my time to exit. <laughs> but we prayed with this guy. And later on, we're going to read about how in, in Jesus, there was going to be times when his disciples would try to cast out demons and would be unable to. And Jesus would tell them this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Spiritual warfare is very real. If you're going through ever um, demonic oppression in the middle of the night, just call out to Jesus. Begin to pray. I myself have experienced demonic oppression, and those are confusing times and sometimes scary. And you question, God, why do you allow this? But you have to remember God is all good, that God loves you, that there is spiritual warfare. And how we respond to the reality of what's going on is very different than what we feel emotionally. You see, we need to respond as a soldier, getting geared up and armed and ready for battle. And knowing that God has victory ultimately over every situation. In verse 42. It says, now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. You see, Jesus' main ministry is preaching of the gospel. And there's going to be times that Jesus needs to get to that deserted place to get alone with God because he's constantly allowing that power to move through him. And physically with his human body, because he's 100% man and also 100% God, there were times when Jesus' physical body was weak and he needed to get alone to recoup. We need to find that deserted place in our life to be able to get alone with God, to hear from him. Whether that's your room in your home, whether that's taking a walk around the neighborhood to get alone with the Lord, whether it's driving down to the beach on a surfboard. Well, you don't drive on a surfboard, but on the water on a surfboard. But getting alone and just asking and praying for the Lord to lead and guide our lives. I think often we, we miss out on the blessings of God because we're not praying for them. We're not asking God to lead and guide us. We're just in autopilot mode and what our physical mind and, and bodies can do and to help us get through this life and we forget and we neglect that prayer life, that devotional time to get filled spiritually. 
so that we can be abiding in Christ, living out our purpose-filled life. You see, with all this, we find strength in the man, our God, Jesus. When you look at his attributes and what he came here to do, you see how he relates to our life. I want to read as I end this, this study again. The mission of Jesus. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus. Lord God, he is so wonderful to us. So we ask by your Holy Spirit, Father, if there's those who need healing, those who need to be set free, Father, do so. I pray, Father, for real commitments in our hearts and in our minds not an emotional movement, but one that is lived out. Life application and change. If this morning you need healing, you need the Holy Spirit to set you free from whatever is binding you or keeping you down or causing you to be oppressed. Just raise your hand and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit just give you that, that anointing. All right. Heavenly Father, we, we lift our, our brothers up to you this morning. I pray, Father, that you would give them the power of the Holy Spirit to set them free, to anoint them, to heal them, Father, to allow them to see Give them liberty that they may walk in your ways. We thank you, Father, that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand. We have one more song. Let's do Waymaker.
promise keep light in the darkness, my God, and that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keep light in the darkness, my God, and that is who you are. You are here, touching every Wednesday night. In Jesus' name.